Hey, good morning. Hey, good singing, huh? Isn't that great? Nothing better to sing about than to be singing about Jesus Christ and his goodness to us. So uh, let's take a moment. Turn to Daniel chapter 4, would you? Take your Bible, your copy of the scriptures, take your iPhone or your iPad or whatever you have on you and um, get a jump start to Daniel chapter 4 and obviously a big welcome to you and to those of you who are online right now, um, welcome to you. We love to know that not only are there people here in these two services that we have in our facility, but we have an online campus of individuals that we are able to connect with week after week. And what I'd like to do right now for those who are online, um, you know, we know that we have stats, but what we'd like to do is to connect with people. And so would you just take a second, uh, if you're online, take a moment and jump into that comment section, whether you're on YouTube or on our uh, Facebook page or on our online section there on our church website, jump into the chat section and just plop your name in there or in a heart emoji or a praying hands emoji or a praise the Lord or I love your hair, Pastor, or something like that. Let's just connect personally so we can see that you're there. And, um, you know, we, we like stats, but we love people is really what we're all about. So if you would do that, another really helpful thing for us is there's a connection card online. And truthfully, we all can do this, whether you're in the facility or you're on our online campus. There's connection cards online on our website or Facebook page. Um, and you can go on those and fill them out. They're super easy to fill out. <clears throat> and... Um, and, and if you would just, it's a way for us to dialogue together without any pressure. It's kind of a neat thing to do. So um, we can do that. And then even if you would like, um, I have had opportunity to see some of our online campus people personally um, out shopping or whatever. And, and if you have opportunity online campus to email me, uh, bconover at eastbaycalvary.org, that would be really fun to be able to connect by email um, I would enjoy that, and um, we could chat back and forth that way as well. So um, anyways, here we go. Are you there in Daniel chapter 4? I gave you enough time. Uh, Daniel chapter 4 in your Bible or in your electronic device. Um, you know, we've been in Daniel for a number of weeks, and Daniel chapter 1 we found started out with Nebuchadnezzar stepping into Judah and conquering not only Judah and Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, but he also conquered many of the area around that region. And so basically, Nebuchadnezzar was the man. <clears throat> he was the boss of so much of the region of that whole known world. <clears throat> and the only thing bigger than the kingdom of Babylon in that day, the only thing bigger was Nebuchadnezzar's ego. Okay, this guy had a huge head about him. And so if you remember from Daniel chapter 1, we understood the area that he conquered, but then there were, there were a number of Jewish young men that he brought over from Judah, and he brought them to Babylon that he basically had served under him. And there were many of them, but specifically there were four names that we learned about. Of them, Daniel, and then we know primarily their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And that was Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 2, God says, you know, I need to connect with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar needs to know, even though he's done some things on, on the earthly context, he needs to realize he's not the boss. He's not the genuine king. And so God sends Nebuchadnezzar a dream. <clears throat> and in this dream, there is a definite message that God sends about a huge statue with different layers of metals. And if you've ever looked in Daniel 2 or if you were part of our study, remember there was a head of gold and then there was um, arms and chest of silver and then a belly and thigh of bronze and you're, you're getting the understanding of all these different layers. Uh, legs of iron, feet that were a mixture of iron and clay. And the dream troubled Nebuchadnezzar and he really couldn't understand what all of this meant and then on top of that, there was this rock that was not carved by human hands, and it came out of nowhere, and it clobbered the statue. The statue came down, and it was demolished to pieces, to rubble, to dust, and it blew away, and the only thing that remained was this massive rock. And of all the people that he tried to get to interpret the dream, no one could come up with it, no one could interpret it, and then here, boom, Daniel steps on the scene. He knew the dream, without anyone telling him what it was, and he interpreted it, and he told Nebuchadnezzar, basically the dream is, bro, you're the head of gold, but your kingdom is temporary. And then what's going to happen is all of these other kingdoms are temporary, but there is one kingdom. There is one kingdom that will remain forever, and it's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is the rock. That is the one that comes in, takes out the entire statue, the statue comes down, the kingdom remains forever, and he says, that's the real boss, that is the real king, that's the eternal king of all the world. You are temporary, you are here in this one locale, that is the king of the world. And he gets the message across to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't like the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar sets up his own statue. Remember, in his dream, he was the head of gold. But Nebuchadnezzar sets up his own statue. His statue was entirely of gold. Yes, my kingdom is not going to end. There is no rock that's going to come in and take it out, and I want everyone to bow to my statue. I want a global religion that everyone bows to it, and maybe we can stop the rock from coming in and taking over, and I will be the eternal king that lasts forever. And everyone who does not bow to my statue is going to go into this fiery furnace and be consumed. And obviously that was his evangelistic strategy, which worked pretty well, except there were three guys that decided they were not going to bow. And in the fire they went, and when Nebuchadnezzar looked in there, I thought I threw three in, and there were four. And this was a lesson for Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> you know what? Not only does God rule over all the kings and over all the kingdoms, he also rules over all of the laws of nature. And these guys were not consumed by the fire, and God went through the fire with them. And it starts helping Nebuchadnezzar realize maybe you aren't the final authority. Maybe there is a God that's beyond you. And Nebuchadnezzar said it. There is a God in heaven. There is someone who is bigger. 
But then he began to forget again. Daniel 4. Are you there? Here we go. Daniel chapter 4. And it starts out with this declaration. It looks like Daniel 4 was written by Nebuchadnezzar. Either by dictation or by writing. And so here we go. Daniel 4 verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar to the nations and people of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. <clears throat> so remember, he begins these first three verses with the end in mind. And he says, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs <clears throat> and wonders <clears throat> that the Most High God has performed for me. <clears throat> how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom, his dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, the nitty-gritty. Verse 4. This is what happened. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I want to give you a word here. The word prosperous, it means to be green like a tree to flourish like a tree. And so now we begin to see Nebuchadnezzar was once again focused on himself. He was in his palace. He had everything in abundance. He was flourishing. And all of his focus once again was back on himself. So he's going through this cycle once again, just like all the other chapters before, I've got it made, I'm the man, I have everything I want, everything is getting bigger, and God wants to teach him a lesson. Look at verse 5. And I had a dream, and it made me very afraid. Just like chapter 2 Exactly like chapter 2. So same ego, same God complex, and God steps in with the same exact message to say, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to teach you this lesson once again. You are not God. Have you ever had to teach someone a lesson over and over and over again and they just don't get it. You ever have that with your kids? You ever have that with someone else? When we were in New York, we had a cow. I don't even know why we thought we should have a cow. But we got a cow, and we got it when it was a little squirt. And... um and we talked to the farmer, and, and, and we'd had it in, in, uh, in its pen for a little while, and he said, okay, you know, winter's over, time to move it out to pasture. And we said, you know, we're really concerned about it getting out of the fence. And, and the farmer says, well, no, no problem, no problem at all, here's what you do. You crank the electric fence up, and, um, and he says, I know you're going to feel bad, you're going to feel really bad, the cow needs to touch the fence. Okay, that's just the way it is. The cow needs to touch the fence. And, um, and it may need to touch the fence more than once, but no big deal. So, um, so 
we let it out of the pen and we turned the fence up and the cow walked out and, um, and it's walking around in the pasture and we're kind of anxious watching the cow a little bit, you know, and the cow looks over at the fence and sizes it up and just starts to move over toward the fence. And it gets closer and closer. And finally, it leans up against the fence. And I'm telling you folks, a whap! And the cow jumped back. And we looked at each other and we thought, wow, glad that's over with. Well, five minutes later, the cow starts to look at that fence again like, what just happened? And it starts to move over to the fence. And, you know, it doesn't want to doesn't want to hit the arm, you know, where, where it did before, because that hurt. So you know what it did? It put its nose. Yeah, I know. It wasn't good, folks. It, it's like, I wonder what that was. And it started to go closer and closer with its nose, and, and all of a sudden, a whap! And that cow jumped back and, and just stood there. It must have been 10 minutes, and, and we looked at each other, and we, and we just felt so bad. We're like, oh, this is horrible. That farmer said, you, it needs to touch it. You just leave it in there. And so about 10 minutes go by, and, and we, we thought, well, that, that's, that's good. That's over with. And then the cow starts moving toward the fence again, and it gets closer and closer and starts sticking its nose toward the fence but it didn't want to touch its nose on it because that hurt the nose. I don't even know if I should tell you this. Yes. It opened up its mouth and stuck its tongue out and touched the fence. And whap! And it went to the middle of the pasture and laid down. Sometimes people need to get things over and over and over and over. And so this is the first thing we see about Nebuchadnezzar. You see it here in verse 4 through verse 8. Nebuchadnezzar still doesn't get it. I mean, he had plenty of opportunities God really sent him some major messages, but he still didn't get it. You know, life was about his comfort and prosperity. That was verse 4. It was still about his kingdom. He built up his kingdom. There was a military conquest. They went through building projects. He was content with all of his possessions, all of his affluence, He was flourishing in every way, but it was still about him. After all of these lessons God was putting his way, he didn't get it. It was about his comfort and prosperity. That was number one. He didn't get it. It was about his comfort and prosperity. And then, notice this as we progress down through the text, verses 6 and 7. So when his life was interrupted, when there was disruption to his life, Humanism was his go-to religion, verses 6 and 7. So when it wasn't going well and he was terrified with his dream, 
Verses 6 and 7, so I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, diviners came, I told them the dream, but they couldn't interpret for me. Does this not sound familiar to chapter 2? If you were with us through chapter 2 study, this is like deja vu. This is exactly the same. I had a dream, it terrified me, and I'm going back to all of the humanistic resources that I have to try to figure it out. This is exactly his solutions that he came up with before. All the solutions he had built up around him, this was the exact rescue story he tried to put together in chapter 2. And just like in chapter 2, here comes in verse 8, Daniel at the end. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He's called Belteshazzar. After the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. And I told him the dream basically is what he ends up doing. And so here's the third thing. God was his last resort. So life was about him. When life was disrupted, humanism was his go-to religion. I, I went to this, I went to that, I pulled in everyone else, and then you know when it wasn't working, I, I went to God. I went to God. And Nebuchadnezzar went through this cycle, so follow it with me. He went through this cycle time and time again in the book of Daniel, <clears throat> You know, his life was about his comfort and prosperity. But when the disruption came, he tried to figure it out for himself with all the resources that he'd put around him. And then when that failed, he went to God. And then when life started to get good again and everything settled down, then he went back to his own comfort and prosperity and then when that was disrupted, he went back to all of his humanistic resources again. And then when they failed, he finally went back to God. And then when life started to settle down, then he went back to his own comfort and prosperity. And then when that was disrupted, then he went to his humanistic resources. You see the cycle? Have we ever been there? I mean, I've been there. We go through the same thing over and over and over again. If we could just hit the pause button here for a second, and if we can just talk heart to heart. You know, I used to go into the book of Daniel before and thinking, you know, I'm going to read this, and I'm, I'm like Daniel. You know, or I'm like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, I used to think that way. Now the more I read this, can I just be truthful? The more I read this, the more I realize I got a lot of Nebuchadnezzar in me. And I don't want to impose on you, but I think if we're all honest, we all have some Nebuchadnezzar here, don't we? We've all done this cycle. You know, life's good, then when it's bad, I'm going to all my go-to stuff. What's Facebook say? What does Google say? What do all my pals say? What does everyone else say? And then when it's still falling apart, oh, there's God 
forgot about that one. And then when things start pulling together, I go back to myself again and my own comfort. And we all go through these cycles. You know what? And I realize I'm, I'm Nebuchadnezzar. We're all Nebuchadnezzar, aren't we? I mean, can we just admit this? As, how about we do it? Let's just say it right out loud. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. A little more convincing than that. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, just without all the gold, you know, we don't have all the gold and all the silver and everything, but we're Nebuchadnezzar. We have the same tendencies. We go through the same cycles. We forget God when life gets easy, and when the disruptions come, we look to self first and then to God last. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. And if you're online, I mean, here's a good time to admit it. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. Just put it in the chat. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. But I've got good news. I've got great news. And here's the good news, that God, God chases after Nebuchadnezzars. This is the coolest thing. God chases after Nebuchadnezzars. So let's, let's look at how he did it. So verse 9, and I'm just going to tell you, this is one of the longer chapters in Daniel. So I'm going to be begging on you to read the details for yourself later today or this week if you haven't already, because we're not going to be able to go through every word today or else we'll have to order in pizza or something like that. But go through and read through all the details later today or this week. But start, let's start in verse 9. I just want to give you the overview of what happened, and then we need to finish with a couple huge lessons that Daniel has for us to learn about God through this account. But God goes after Nebuchadnezzar in a big way. So look at the vision of the dream um, of the tree. Starting in verse 9, Nebuchadnezzar explains the dream to Daniel. And so there's the tree. Now, in parallel to the word prosper, you remember that at the beginning in verse 4, to be green or to prosper? Here, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream in verse 10. These are the visions I saw lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree, In the middle of the land, its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. So here is this huge tree. It was prospering. It was gigantic. It was above everything in the land. And then a messenger came in verse 13 from on high. And it came from heaven in verse 14. That messenger (coughs) called in a loud voice, cut down the tree, trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit, let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches But let the stump and its roots, notice that stump and its roots were going to be bound with iron and bronze. Let them remain in the ground in the grass of the field. 
And then notice what happens. This whole metaphor of this stump turns into a man. In the middle of that verse 15, it says, let him, now the stump is a him, it's a man, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. So here's the explanation of the dream to Daniel. And you're seeing what's happened. This great towering tree that goes above all of the land. And the messenger comes and says, take the tree down. Let's clip it up. Let's take everything away from it. And all there's going to be is a stump. And then let's bind it with, with bronze and iron. Let's shackle it right there. And basically it's going to be a man. And it's going to be more like an animal than really a human. And then the purpose of it is verse 17 it's still somewhat obscure to Nebuchadnezzar, but the purpose of all of this is verse 17. And notice this. It says, The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. Here's the purpose of the whole dream, so that the living may know. This is what God's been trying to tell Nebuchadnezzar the whole time, that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives, to them, gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Boom, the purpose. What does it mean? Daniel tells him what it means. Just quickly, verses 19 to 26. Daniel steps in and says, King, I wish it weren't you, but it is. Here's what it means. King, the tree's you. The tree's you. And you're going to be cut off. And you're just going to be a stump of a person. And you're going to be more like an animal than anything else. And you're going to be grazing in the field just like a, a wild beast. And you're going to be unkept and your hairs are going to grow and your nails are going to be like the talons of a bird. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to go on for seven times, as we know from Daniel, that seven years that you're going to graze in the field. You're going to lose everything with your kingdom. And this is going to happen, king. You're going to be taken to the bottom. So that way you will know now that God is sovereign over all that there is no one else, you are not the one to credit for what you have. It is all the God of the universe, the sovereign one of all. And Daniel interprets a dream. He does give them the opportunity of repentance in verse 27. He says, King, come on, repent. Turn this thing around. Renounce your sin. Do what is right. Be kind to the oppressed. Maybe this thing can turn around for you. He, he gives him the option, and even still there's no change of heart. After two dreams, after two miracles of special interpretation, after a rescue in the fiery furnace, after all of this, no change of heart. And then look at this. The dream is fulfilled. And that happens in verse 28 on down. The dream is fulfilled. 
Here's the amazing thing. God waited a whole year. Twelve months later, verse 29, the king was walking around. Look at verse 30. The king said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? And God waited for a year. The king showed his pride. God punished Nebuchadnezzar. He was taken down. He became like an animal for seven years. And I need to read for you, and then we're going to talk the lessons. I need to read for you. At the end of seven years, this is Nebuchadnezzar's conversion story. Folks, I'm just, I, I just need to be plain with you. I don't know that there is a more beautiful conversion account in the Bible than the one I'm just about to read to you. I love Acts chapter 9, where Saul becomes Paul and comes to Jesus Christ. But this is gorgeous. Can I just read this for you, verses 34 to 37. At the end of seven years, Nebuchadnezzar finally understands the reality of who he's dealing with, and he, he acknowledges the God of the universe and gives his life to his glory and credit. Notice verse 34, he says, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and my splendor were returned for me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. And I love verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, here's the last words Nebuchadnezzar has recorded. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right. All his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar says everything God does is right, and his ways are just. He is the king of heaven. You know, here's the lessons of Daniel 4, and this is what we need to pack and take away here today. And I just, I want to give these to you. This is what God tried to teach Daniel all along, or tried to teach Nebuchadnezzar all along. That he truly is sovereign. That God really does rule. And I know I'm telling you this, and for a lot of people like, yeah, we know that God rules. We know that God's in control. Can I, can we just like get beyond the theology lesson here this morning. We know from, from Daniel, God does rule over dreams. He does rule over interpretations. He does rule over fiery furnaces. He does rule over one's physical and mental capabilities, over kings, over kingdoms. I mean, you name it, God reigns over it. 
No one's going to trump God. No one is going to establish anything over God. What God has determined will happen. He is control and holding over everything, his rule and reign. And embracing that in our toughest times should give us a sense of peace and sanity. God's sovereignty gives us sanity for our moment. And I want to get beyond just a theological understanding because you know what? You and I have moments right now for which we need to embrace that God is still in control of that as well. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, his sanity was restored when he realized God's in control. Um, I think our sanity can be restored when we realize God's in control. You know, when we try to control it ourselves, when we try to manipulate everything, when we're running around and making all the phone calls and the texts and the emails and trying to talk to everyone to get everything the way that we need it to be, we're going to go nuts. When we realize that God's in control, that he rules, maybe our sanity would restore when we come to that realization. I mean, just watch Facebook, you know. You know what people freak out over right now. Freak out over COVID or, you know, the elections or over United Nations or China or Russia or Genovia or um, we look at our security and stability and all of these things that we try to control. And I'm here to tell you, we're not going to be able to control all of those things. And you know why? We're not God. God is in control. And if we're looking to all of that for our security and stability, we are going to lose our mind. Our confidence rests in the Lord. So what does um, living in light of God's sovereignty look like? You know, if I asked us this morning, do we believe God is in control? We probably would say, yes, okay, so we do. What does it look like to live that way? I don't know if you saw this on Facebook this week, but um, my dad had, my dad had um, surgery on Friday. He had major lung surgery. And, and here's the reality. He, he almost didn't even get to have surgery. He almost passed before that. And um, thankfully, praise God, he made it to surgery. He made it through surgery. And Friday night, I called up my mom <clears throat> And she still had not yet seen him, and this is hours afterward, which, you know, if you've been through that, those times feel like an eternity. And I called my mom, 
and I was talking to her, and, and she just told me, she says, I haven't seen Dad yet, but I've just talked to the doctors, and they've explained to me what happened. And, and so after our conversation, I said, Mom, how are you doing? This is what living life in light of God's sovereignty sounds like. I'm so proud of her. So she said, you know, I thought we were going to lose him. And she said, but I'm fine. And she said, I kept telling my, the, myself that verse from 2 Corinthians 12, 9. You ready? But my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I glory in my weakness so that the power of Christ may be seen in me. I thought, wow. It's living in light of God's sovereignty right there. Like, I can't control it. But I believe that God will give me the grace for whatever it is because he's in control. So what's your thing that you would put in that slot? What's the thing for which you may go nuts over trying to control for which you lose sleep over at night. And understanding God's rule and reign can help give stability and security to some of the most difficult and challenging situations we would ever face. Believing and trusting in the nature and character of God, saying the same things as Nebuchadnezzar where he exclaimed, everything he does is right and all his ways are just, are just awesome, awesome statements. Okay, last thing for you. God's sovereignty gives us sanity is number one. Here's the second thing I... I just love this. This we'll finish up with. God's grace is amazing. God's grace is amazing. Um, I love this. Um, God absolutely popped Nebuchadnezzar. God cranked up the wattage on his electric fence, you know, and God let him know through a seven-year period, woo, I am God, you are not Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he really let him have it. He cut down the tree, he brought him down to the point of insanity. And certainly God's discipline and judgment were on display in this passage. But you know, that doesn't surprise me because you know what, if you and I were God, we would have done the same thing to Nebuchadnezzar, true? I mean, I, I would have. I, this is 40 years into Nebuchadnezzar's reign almost. I would have done this a long time ago. 
In fact, if, if, it were, if I were God, the book of Daniel would have gone, Daniel 1, Nebuchadnezzar defeated Judah. And then Nebuchadnezzar died. You know, that's how it would have gone for me if I were God. But through dreams, through miracles, through the fiery furnace experience, even through another 12 months after the dream, and then after seven years of this experience of insanity in the wilderness, God restored and redeemed Nebuchadnezzar and brought him to the point where he prayed, God, your dominion is everlasting. You do what you do with justice. And now I praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven. And that's just awesome. Folks, that tells me God's grace is amazing. I mean, isn't God's grace amazing? That's outstanding. It just reminds me of 1 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God loves Nebuchadnezzar's. And the judgment of Jesus makes sense to us. It's his grace that blows my mind. And here, let me give this one to you in finishing up. The thing that gets me is one day you and I, if we have our faith and trust in Jesus, we're going to walk into heaven and we're going to walk up to this one guy and we're going to say, and what's your name? <laughs> He's going to say, I'm Nebuchadnezzar. Wait till you hear my story. Isn't that crazy? I think his nails will be clipped and his hair will be cut. So you won't really know who he is by that. Mind blown. That's the grace of God. Think about it. Think about it that God intended to rescue Nebuchadnezzar just as much as he intended to rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire and pursued him hard for almost 40 years until he finally came to the point of repentance. Now, friends, that is an awesome God. Amen. Awesome, awesome God. So I got two things for us. Number one, we all need to say in our heart, Jesus, you reign over my world. You do. All of it. Not just my political world, Not just my Facebook world, but God, my world. And whatever it is that you would put in that slot, we need to put it there. And we need to believe and trust 
the God of the word. He genuinely is sovereign. But God, you control it. You reign over it. You do what's right. Your ways are just. You not only control my salvation that I don't have to work for that because Jesus did the work for it. You control my world that I don't have to control that either. And then secondly, Jesus, you redeem my life. You redeem my life. How patient he's been with us, Nebuchadnezzar's how gracious he's been. He went through every means possible to rescue us. He died for us. Jesus doesn't just care for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He cares to rescue Nebuchadnezzar's as well. And we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone that he died on the cross for my sin. Would you stand with me? Those two thoughts, would you take him? Would you internalize them? Would you embrace them? If you're online, these are the ones to tuck in your heart. Jesus, you reign over my world. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. Would you close your eyes with me? Would you pray that? Would you consider it? Would you embrace it? If it's your marital world or your financial world or your job world, your addiction world, the world of your attitudes, your speech, your parenting. Do you commit that to him? Jesus, you redeem my life. And if you've never come to the point in your heart and in your life where you acknowledge, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm a Nebuchadnezzar. And you went to the nth degree to rescue me. You've been so patient with me, giving me time and time and time again to come to you. You died for my sin to forgive me. I believe it. I embrace it. I leave my life of self behind. I acknowledge you're king of my life. Jesus, you redeem my life. Could that be your prayer and decision today? Pray that to God right now. And so God, together as a family here and as a family online, thank you for the account of Nebuchadnezzar and how we see you in your sovereignty and your patience and your love on display in magnificent form. And we take comfort and refuge in those things. Thank you for being an awesome God of the universe. 
displayed in your son, Jesus Christ. And like our brother Nebuchadnezzar, today we praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. We love you, God. Together we say amen. Amen. God bless you.